Welcome to our first episode of the California Probation Connection, a podcast by the Chief Probation Officers of California. I am your host, CPOC Executive Director, Karen Pank. This podcast is a way to discuss in more detail the complex topics that face probation professionals, as well as everyone involved in our justice system. In today's episode, I spoke with El Dorado County Chief Brian Richard and Santa Clara County Chief Laura Garnett about the ever-changing landscape of California's juvenile justice system and what role probation plays now and will play in the future. All right, well, hello and uh, welcome. Uh, Today we're gonna be tackling a complex challenge that the state and our communities are facing, uh, which currently involves our highest needs juvenile justice youth. Um, And in short, let's kind of, you know, uh, level set for everybody. The state passed legislation uh, known as SBA 23, and uh, that shifted the state's responsibility for caring for these specific youth from the state uh, division of juvenile justice to you guys, uh, the local level, um, specifically county probation departments. Uh, So probation's already responsible for over 90% of the youth in our system, right, before this change, but now we'll be 100%. Um, However, the youth that the state did oversee had some very specialized high-end needs that, you know, I think we're now trying to uh, build the system to handle the shift. So the shift was a critical one. We're all collectively trying to pull together to collaborate and make sure that no youth is left behind. So while CPOC actually opposed the bill for a variety of reasons that we don't need to necessarily get into today, I will say it's inspiring after it has passed that I've been able to see how quickly probation has jumped into action to really work with all of our system stakeholders, with the community, to try to put together thoughtful implementation plans. So um, despite all those challenges, I'm hoping that today we'll be able to get into a little bit of that and uh, see how it's uh, how it's going from an implementation standpoint. So like I said, let's jump into it. How is it going? Who wants to go first? I always defer to Laura in these matters. So Chief? It's, it's going. It's going. It's, um, it's a heavy lift. It's a really heavy lift. It's a really heavy lift for our staff. Um, we have eight youth in our facility right now. It's, it's, um, I think we have done pretty amazing going from nothing to ramping up to a full-blown secure track program. And it's, again, been a lot of figuring out physical space and then individual programming. Um, but, I, you know, I think we're where we should be, and um, we're just working really hard. Similar for you, Chief Richard? Similar. I think... Um so we we have one youth in residence, uh, and it was a unique circumstance in that youth had already been to DJJ and had returned from DJJ uh, on an appealed sentence. And so when the youth was resentenced, uh, he was resentenced to a local term uh, with us. And it was his preference and his family's preference and, and our preference. We actually advocated for it. And so uh, having him in residence after having had him as a young man. Uh, and then uh, having to had sent him to DJJ uh, because it was what the, the court wanted to do. 
then bring him back and, and have him back in residence. It's a super unique opportunity, but, uh, but has caused us to have to figure out solutions to real world problems on the fly. And that's, I think, probably um, uh, thematic of what everybody around the state is, is facing right now is we are building this program, this, uh, this application of legislation as in real time. And that's been an interesting uh, opportunity for us, an interesting, interesting challenge for us. Um, and every single county is having to face it in a slightly different way. But uh, for us, so far, so good. Well, that's great. And, you know, you pointed out um, a, an interesting wrinkle here that I'm not sure everybody's aware of. But, you know, the SB 823 kind of stopped the ability for us to send youth who were, you know, uh, about to be adjudicated to the state. And so then we we kind of built it up. It sounds like that's what your youth that you just described with you, uh, Chief Garnett. And we also now know that uh, by next year, DJJ will close entirely. And while there'll still be youth there, they will have to come back and find homes in their uh, counties of commitment. So you've already started that practice, it sounds like, with the youth that you just uh, spoke of. Exactly. And I think, you know, fortunately, our, our situation is unique and individual and, and we're having positive results. But I think things could very easily go a different direction given the wrong circumstances. And so that is a, a separate, distinct challenge that we knew was on the horizon and now is coming uh, toward us rapidly. Right, exactly. So um, what do you think we as a state need to be thinking about about some of those challenges, Chief Garnett? Yeah, I think the, the biggest challenges are the need for really specialized treatment. And I think we underestimated that. I think we underestimated it in our county. And when I, we have 12 youth that are going to be <clears throat> returned to us in some way um, after the, the close date, and they're going to be in various places in their treatment. <clears throat> and, you know, having kind of a continuity of care is, is so, so important. But trying to plan for that now is, is also really hard while we're setting up a program. So the level of individualization is, I just can't say enough about it. <clears throat> every single case, every single youth is so unique. It, it's, it's not a homogeneous um, group at all. And so I think the, the focus really needs to be on specialized treatment that, in, that includes um, high-end residential care. When you say specialized treatment, I just want to follow up on that. What, what specifically do you mean? What kinds of issues um, do you feel we will need to be prepared to address um, for these youth? Because these youth are at the highest end of the spectrum and have committed the most serious crimes, many of them have serious mental health issues and not emotional disturbance, but serious mental health issues that need psychiatric treatment. Um, most of them have had extreme trauma in their lives, also needing treatment. And then there's a specialized population of sex offenders that need very specific treatment. There's populations of fire starters that need different treatment. Um, yeah, there, there's just subpopulations and, and they need the best treatment that there is. And you can't have that in every single county. So we've got to figure out how do we have the best treatment for these, you know, really challenging issues and not try to duplicate it in every county. That's a great point. I appreciate that. Uh, Chief Chart, what do you think are some of the uh, things the state needs to be thinking about to be successful in this transition? So focusing on the reality of what was and now what is. So the reality of what was is the state took youth who were at the highest end of the needs spectrum and according to the court were unable 
to actually be rehabilitated in the local population. So let's start from that platform because now we have to build from there. And the state needs to be cognizant of the fact that what they did was they took a centralized system and they decentralized it out into 58 counties, thereby diluting the effectiveness of the concentration of those resources in, in single environments and distributed all that out to the counties and said, okay, now build a system for a very small number of youth with the highest of needs and the highest of risk to public safety in the community. So not every single community has the capacity to be able to re rebuild a system within that uh, within the confines of their resources to address that small number of youth. And so we need to work collaboratively and collectively among the counties in order to accomplish that goal for a number of counties. Some counties are going to be able to do it on their own. Many, many counties are not. Well, that's, uh, I guess the good news with that is I feel as though of all of the different uh, stakeholders that I've worked with in the past, I, I really feel like that's one of the strengths of probation. I mean, I know probation chiefs really lean on each other to try to make sure you're not reinventing the wheel and how you can, you know, help out. But, you know, you raise an interesting point, the going from centralization to decentralization is not an easy process. Um, I suspect that they may have done so because you've had a lot of success in the local level with treating youth. So maybe talk a little bit about that, Chief Richard. How do you feel about like, is that why, uh, you know, the reward is you've done such a great job now tackle this tough problem? Yeah, I, I think that actually uh, it, it probably started with public safety realignment in 2011. I mean, we, we've shown a lot of success at taking what were state issues and managing them locally and in the reality is we've done a great job with youth locally. There are far fewer youth in the system because of the work that we have learned to do over the last 15 years. Um, but the reality is that, again, this is a unique population of kids. And so we're having to expand and, and stretch uh, our abilities and our resources in order to accommodate this population. Um, I think it's it's really important. Uh, you you pointed it out, Karen, that uh, we are a really collaborative group. Like our mm -hmm. our profession simply solves problems. So when eight twenty three was passed, whether we supported it or not, there was very little conversation about it on the back end. It was okay. Now we have this, and so what are we going to do to solve this problem? It's a unique mm -hmm. problem set. What resources do we have to bring to to bear on the problem, and how can we work with the state? to build out a system that actually is effective. And so um, being willing collaborators just by nature, I think in our profession has really served us well. And what I've found among my colleagues, which has just been outstanding is very little to no resistance right. to the idea of, we are gonna have to help each other out on this. From the largest counties to the smallest counties, everybody's gonna need some assistance at some level to solve this problem. That is a very important point. Um, and, you know, I know both of you have facilities, but it may be a surprise to folks that there's not facilities in every particular county. And even those with some facilities may not even have the right type of facilities for this build out. So we're, we are really going to have to rely on each other. Um, sounds like a, a great uh segue to uh, talk about, well, what is what is actually feasible? What are you planning right now, Chief Kernow? What does the program really look like in your county? So right now the program looks like, it looks different than the other juvenile hall units. So there's mm -hmm. a lot more freedom of movement. There's um, ample time for, for youth to make food. There's a kitchen. Um, they, you know, 
uh, wake up and go to bed at different times, depending on their schedules. Some have um, do vocational. We have um, both four-year universities and, and the junior colleges in. Um, what they really want are jobs. So that that's an issue because almost everybody at DJJ has jobs where they actually earn money. And that was something we hadn't thought of. We thought about job training. We didn't actually think about employment for that length of time. So we're um, trying to bridge that. So, you know, I think the goal is to, to flesh out the juvenile hall part well enough to, um, to really be effective with public safety in the first, you know, whatever period of time we need to, and then hopefully be able to step, step the youth down to a less secure facility like our ranch or, or even a community-based setting. And that's, you point out another important piece of the legislation and kind of what we think we'll start to see going forward, right? This kind of progression um, that hopefully uh, there will be different places and different things that these youth will be able to do over time, because in many cases, there'll be longer periods of time that they'll be with us. Yes, they will be with us longer periods of time. And I think it's really important if if you've raised children and so nobody under the age of um, um, 16 can can be um, filed on an adult court. So that means we have a youth under the age of 16, regardless of what the crime is. And so the, the more heinous crimes, you may very well have that youth for 10 years. And if you have children and you've seen the difference between a 15-year-old and a 25-year-old and what you do during that time, you graduate from high school, you learn how to drive, you date, you get a part-time job, you socialize, you try on different identities, you have, you do all these things. Hopefully you graduate, then you go to college and then you get your first job and you have a, you know, a significant other and maybe you get married by 25 and we're going to have that youth that entire time. And that's a pretty ominous thought because really developmentally, we need to be releasing people at their, you know, where their um, emotional, mental age is, is the same as their chronological age. And that's going to take a lot of effort on our part to create a robust enough, stimulating enough program with enough connections. Because again, relationships are everything. It's how you develop as a human being. And that'll be good having our youth home and closer to us so they can work on, you know, their family relationships and, you know, hopefully strengthen community ties and have a, a better chance at reentry than coming out of DJJ. Sounds daunting, uh, but I know you guys are up for the task. What is it looking like in El Dorado? Um, <clears throat> well, we're very fortunate, first of all, in that, um, and I'm sure that not unlike a lot of other uh, counties that have facilities, uh, we have extremely compassionate and caring staff prepared to take on the problem set. So, and obviously, for most of us, we know these kids. These kids did not just fall into the system one day and found themselves at DJJ the next or eligible for DJJ the next. Typically, we've had a lot of experience with them. So interestingly, at least in my county, uh, the, the staff are very interested in engaging in this work and they think that they can do far more good than may have been available to youth at the state level with regard to caring and compassion. Not that there weren't caring and compassion staff at a state level, but that we know these kids. They're our kids. And right. we are, we really, as Chief Garnett was saying, our primary goal is going to be preparing them for, for adulthood. Like when we uh, come to the point where we need to return them back into the community, they're, miss, they're having missed a lot of developmental steps in their life. And so how do we best prepare them to take on a role as an adult in the community, in a community that doesn't know what they've been through. 
and doesn't understand the stresses and the struggles that they've experienced in an institutional setting. So how do we normalize that to the, to the extent that we possibly can, given that we aren't, we aren't um, maybe blessed with the types of resources that the state was working with when they were programming these youth. So it's, it's a mixed bag. It's good that they're home and local with us. Not so great that we don't have all the resources that the state had available to provide to these youth for workforce development in meaningful occupations. And that's really, I think, one of the primary struggles we're dealing with is how do we give them a chance to, to really advance uh, when they hit the ground? Yeah, I mean, it strikes me, uh, and I've had these conversations with both of you at different times. I mean, we were raising uh, our own kids at about right. this age, right? That's and right. I, I, when you were just explaining, uh, Chief Garnett, the difference between, you know, this, you know, a 17 year old and 25, I mean, heck, difference between an 18 year old and a 19 year old, I mean, kind of blew exactly. me away. So I can only imagine when you overlay, you know, uh, the, the trauma that uh, that obviously uh, has uh, been involved in their lives, you know, with the, some of the specialized, you know, issues that need to be addressed. It's quite a task. And and you mentioned, Chief Chart, our staff. I mean, this, in the end, it's going to be successful based on our staff's ability to rise to the occasion. So what are some of the challenges that you're hearing from from your staff? What are some of the things that you as a chief are trying to address to, to try to help them be best prepared for this challenge? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I'm, I'm just coming off a tour of Midwestern facilities. I was in Missouri last week and, and in, here in California, you know, we've heard about the Missouri model and the, and the facilities that have been constructed back there for the last decade and how we need to move ourselves more and more toward that model. And so I needed to see it firsthand. And so I went to three different jurisdictions last week. And I will tell you that the one thing that I walked away with that was screaming in my ear was it doesn't matter what the facility looks like. It doesn't matter what the program looks like. It matters what the staff's mm. mental uh, attitude towards their youth are. And I saw a variety of applications of that to where I would say we're so much more well prepared to deal with this population than if you were to ask some of the staff that I saw back in the Midwest uh, to take on this challenge. They, they would struggle mightily with it because of their attitude and their mindset towards kids. And I think that my staff and I think most all the staff that I've worked with at a state level around from counties all over the state uh, in training programs is that their mindset is really well prepared for this. Like they're really focused on the compassionate side of this, that it's not in any way about a punitive action towards a kid. It's about a need to suspend their engagement in the community. And while we have them, do the best we can for them to prepare them to go back out in the community because we know they're all going back out in the community. So how do we prepare them for that? And our staff are prepared, I believe, for that. That's great. Yeah. Who would have thought people matter? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that is, uh, that's an interesting uh, concept. Uh, Chief Garnett, you have any thoughts on this topic? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, I always say that the people that know the most about youth are the graveyard staff, hmm. the ones who stand outside the kids' cells when they don't open the door because it's not safe, and they talk to them for hours and hours and hours about their life, about why they can't sleep, about how anxious they are. And, and they do, they have really meaningful relationships with these youth. And so, and I said, it's a heavy lift and it is a heavy lift, but right now we have the youth, you know, it's what I've always said. We had them before they went to DJJ and we had them when they got out of DJ, DJJ. So just means we're keep keeping them in the middle part. And so for our staff, they were pretty excited about that. Like a lot of times they would feel like a youth had been there for a couple of years going through their um, trial 
and they would really feel like they were doing good work with them. And then they would be uprooted and have to go to the state and, and then reenter again. So, you know, our staff are excited and um, really, really optimistic and thinking of just a lot of out of the box things. You know, it's it's interesting listening to also the Missouri discussion, uh, Chief Richard, that, you know, and I would I would say it's probably been two decades that we've been hearing well, about yeah, the Missouri model. I, I'm, I'm dating myself here, but <laughs> it is. Uh, so I'm fascinated that you actually got eyes on, you know, mm-hmm. and that was kind of your takeaway. Um, we're going to have to to think about how we are evolving you know, our responses to the system. But when I think about how how the evolution of juvenile justice in California, I mean, this there's a lot of excitement right now around 823. I mean, I was just at a at a convening yesterday and was was really taken aback by, you know, just the pure excitement that this is just monumental change. And it is a big change. But it's really one of the many changes that we have seen in California over, Mm -hmm. I would say, the past two decades, you know. And so do you think that that change um, and that kind of slow march up to how we treat juveniles in the justice system at the local level, um, you know, has benefited from that that march through the various different reforms that uh, whether it be JJCPA all the way you know, to where we are today. I mean, do you think those policy reforms have, have helped probation be ready for the task? I, now, this was one that I'm throwing out at you. So who wants to take it? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, like the, the one constant in our field is there's there's no constant. It, we Straight change point. all the time. We're evolving all the time. And we're, we're really, really proud of that. Like we don't want to, you know, go backwards or, or pause because you should be evolving and we should be more... Um, interested in doing things better, getting better results. And and our field out of all of law enforcement has absolutely been the leaders in this area. And we talked about disproportionality and over-incarceration 20 years ago, and we've continued to talk about it. And we've continued to implement reform after reform after reform. I mean, 20 years ago, we were locking up truants. I mean, there has been so much reform and, and each time we've done it and there's been some learning and we've done it again and and we do it really really well so i think it just it absolutely i think if you did this to a a different discipline they would be you know shocked and not really know what to do but i think we are so good at just pivoting and saying okay what are the rules how can we make the best of it how can we you know get our youth and their families the best chance of of succeeding yeah i I think that those reforms and those adjustments that we've made, some of them very iterative, some of them were massive, like right. this one. <clears throat> Excuse me. The the reality is it's it's really tilled up the ground in preparation for this. So this is just mm-hmm. a normal state of being for our occupation. Like yeah. it, when it, things are quiet and calm, I think that's when we begin to get a little nervous. Like we, right. because we know that our business is about change, right. literally about change. And it's what we've uh, gotten very, very used to. My first job in management uh, in probation as a manager was as a facility administrator. I I was brought in to run a juvenile hall. And frankly, I was brought in to reform and and revamp a juvenile hall. And that was 20 years ago where Mm -hmm. the conversation was what we're doing now isn't working. Make it better. 
and, and carte blanche, go and do whatever you have to do within the construct of, of the regulations that the state offers you and build a better version of what we do. Yeah. And so the conversation has been around for a long time. This is just the next iteration of it. It just happens to be a significant iteration. Of right, it. right. Well, it seems like a really good message to your staff, some of which are very young themselves, right? Certainly. And maybe had not been a part of some of these changes that we've seen um, probation not only survive, but thrive through, right? And so, you know, it, it seems like an important message to me. And maybe I'm telling myself that as well, because I will tell you, <laughs> I've been holding on for dear life as we've been going through this massive change. But I remind myself constantly that, you know, this is this is what probation does, and it's yeah. what probation does well. And, you know, implementation matters. Yep. And I'm not sure I've seen anybody do it better than probation, albeit not alone, right? You guys have to work in that collaborative manner that you've both referred to. But, um, you know, I... I often am accused of being too much of an optimist, but I am an optimist and I'm hoping that that this uh, in a year from now, when we look back, Mm -hmm. what do you think we will be saying about the implementation of 823? Well, I, okay. A year from now, I, I, I think or my, you can pick your increment. Would you like you. to say five that. years I feel from far now. more comfortable with three years. All right. Let's so, go with three. You know, down the road a piece. Yeah. Um, here's what I think. Uh, first of all, uh, as we've talked about, we're very good at adapting and adopting uh, changes. And ironically, because as individuals in this occupation, we're not great at change. Like we really sort of resist change a little bit. Um, it's just in the nature of the people that come into our business. But the reality is the system of probation, the, the business of probation is very good at adopting changes in practice and, and policy and, and approach. And, uh, and I think that we're, let me put it to you this way. This is another one of those things we cannot afford to fail at. Like it, failure in this context means harm to kids and nobody in our business has ever been willing to accept that reality that we may harm a child if we don't do it. So we're going to just do it well. And I think from the line through management, that's the perspective that we carry with us. And so we don't look for, well, what's good enough. We look for what is the best possible thing we can do. And that's what I think we'll look back on two or three years from now is we'll see that Mm -hmm. we were handed something extremely difficult to implement because Mm -hmm. there was, there was, there is no roadmap for this. We're drawing the map out and then getting on the road and traveling it as we go. And, and I think we'll look back on this uh, and, and see another success of probation, much like we had with public safety realignment. That's a great point. I think we were all very nervous about yes, uh, adult realignment at, at one point. And, and we do ask a lot of our staff so we can understand why they're nervous. But, you know, any any thoughts about where we are three years down the road? Yeah, I think three years is a great um, place to look. Mm-hmm. I think three years will have built out a system where youth are either in a more secure setting and a less secure setting or even less secure setting, depending on individual needs and resources, because those need to be built out. We've done a great job of listening to youth voice and and personal experience. We're talking to the youth that are in DJJ now a lot to hear from them. And consistently, it's the same message over and over again. Who the staff are and how they treat them is number one. Number two, they want to make money. They want jobs. They want to make money. They want to progress in their lives. But they're very clear on on what they want. And I, I think our staff have have also just really embraced this. And I think in three years is what we'll see is, you know, maybe 15 or 20 young people that look like, you know, 15 or 20 completely separate programs to 
depending on their individual needs and and even where they're physically located. Wow. Well, I'd like to hit a time machine button and get us to those three years from now, but I know there's going to be a lot of hard work in between. Um, you know, we are, uh, you know, hoping that those who are listening in large part are are your staff. And so I'm sure that they uh, appreciate hearing some of the the hope that you have for them and the, the you know, um, confidence, frankly, that you have in them. It's certainly Absolutely. been my experience as well around the state and, and uh, meeting with folks. So have I uh, failed to ask you a burning question that you really wanted to give a response to? Is there any other final thoughts that you have on this topic? Yeah, I would say um, another unanticipated um, benefit to this is is we've really also brought in the victim voice and because the youth are going to be local, it gives us a much better opportunity to do true restorative justice um, implementation that we've really never been able to do because our system was so fractured. So I think this is an enormous opportunity to to really see how you can have social justice and also save communities and do right by victims and have them involved in the process. That's a great point. And one we haven't really heard as much as we were talking about the policy development behind 823. So it's, it's that's a that's a consequence and, and it may be a good consequence. It's, it's coming just, up as it's happening. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. So what did I get wrong and what would you like to share? <laughs> wrong, not a thing. Um, I, I would say we focused a lot on obviously the two primary constituencies in this, and that's our kids mm-hmm. and our staff. Right. And I would say in each of those cases, the only thing maybe we didn't talk about was this might be a scary thing for both of them. Yeah. The mm-hmm. idea that I'm going to be in this facility, whatever that happens mm-hmm. to be for them, wherever they happen to be for a very long time, not a much larger, more expansive type of environment, but this one, what does my life look like for the next five to six to like, you know, Chief Garnett said maybe 10 years. Right. That's a very scary potentiality. In it. And so I think um, for us to be able to acknowledge that and consider that in the work we do with kids is extremely important. And then for our staff, I mean, there's a potential there's the potential for fear built into this as well. I mean, this is an older population. This is a more mature population, uh, hopefully, um, but not necessarily in the way that staff would like to see. In other words, more sophistication with some kids that they might feel like they're in danger from. And I can completely understand that uh, from a service delivery perspective. And, right. and so I think we need to make sure that we as leaders stay mindful of that and and communicate with our staff about that and as to what their needs are so they can feel safe in the work that they're doing. Because yes, these are the same kids that they've always worked with, but it's a slightly different version of the same kids that they've worked with. And so how do we bring tools to them and give them support so they can have confidence in the work they're doing with these kids? Well, I was going to ask if you had a magic wand, what would you try to do? But you just kind of answered some of those things. And, you know, I I see your head nodding over there, Chief Garnett, as well. So, you know, as as we kind of draw to a close, the things that I'm hearing you both say and and I know it's it's consistent with what we hear when we talk about it around our table, you know, is is that despite how we got here, you know, we think we can get through it successfully because probation will innovate. We will balance where we need to balance. We'll keep mindful of all of the areas where we need to be collaborating and all of our partners. And uh, and uh, we should see success in uh, three years down the road is what I'm hearing. So hopefully we'll have you back to talk about that. <laughs> um, in the meantime, I just want to thank uh, you all for listening. Um, this is the California Probation Connection.